electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The sweet spots for stocks, whether your money is now primed for a spring jump. We debate that with our investment committee as the S&P 500 hits yet another new record high. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington is managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. Degas Wright is chief investment officer of Decatur Capital. Joe Terranova is here along with Pete Najeri. Let's go to the wall. Let's check the markets. I told you about the records for the S&P. Dow hitting one as well. Pete, our state of play looks pretty good, right? S&P holding above 4,000. You got the new records. The VIX under 18. Economic data continues to rip. And then all the way over on the right there, 10-year note yield 170. Rates, uh, you know, staying put too. Yeah, and people are very, very comfortable right now, Scott. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, the idea that people had been looking at this market and having some angst, I think, at times because of some of the movements that we were getting in in specific areas of the market and some of that overpriced movement. And I just heard the guys talking about that. Some of the the names out there that were running to the upside. Well, right now we are seeing the quality names that are running to the upside. A lot of the technology names that are moving to the upside, but it's also financials. We've got materials. We've got a lot of different areas of the market that are participating. And you've got a VIX, like you say, around 17, 18. That's incredible right now. All things considered just a few weeks ago when we were looking at the VIX and we were in the mid 20s and at, at, at times pushing up to the upper 20s. And yet now here we are in the teens and it seems like it's a very comfortable spot for people. I would I would I would caution a little bit, though. Don't get too comfortable. I, I like these markets. I like what we're seeing. But everything that I am seeing right now is extremely short term. And so what that means to me, Scott, is I'm not talking about things that are expiring in April. I'm talking about options that people are buying in, in, in droves today all over the place in different categories. But what they're buying right now are all expiring on Friday. So there isn't a long-term uh, bullishness right now, at least the tone of what we're seeing right now in the derivatives market. Maybe there should be, Joe, given the broadening of the rally. You see the new highs today, Joe, and, and the list we're talking Facebook and Alphabet and I Microsoft. Sure. Okay, so big tech is hitting new highs. You've got the home builders, Lennar and Pulte hitting new highs. Uh, Kansas City Southern, Union Pacific, J.B. Hunt, Whirlpool. It's about as broad as you can get along with the, the places to look that Pete just told us about. The formation of the market is about as perfect and as sunny as an investor could ever want. Keep in mind, oil is actually falling. It's below $60. To your point before, We have an unemployment rate at 6%. We have the ISM services with the highest number since 1997. And bond yields are falling. So the economic optimism is real. It's reflected in the good news in the economy. And what we now are witnessing as we enter a new quarter, we talked about this last week, is, to your point, the broadening out. And the broadening out is now coming from the established growth names. So you have your Tesla up 12% in the last five days. You've got your uh, Alphabet 
and your Microsoft up nearly 8%, NVIDIA up 7%, Lamb Research up 7%. So technology is participating once again, and this formation is a really strong one heading into earnings. Stay invested and enjoy it. I'll tell you what, Joe, you know, it, it's the tech names and it's some of the other names. If you look at the ETFs, multi-year highs today, Bryn, Steel, highest since 2012. Industrials, the XLI, highest since 98. Home construction, I gave you some of the individual names there, like Pulte and Lennar. The home construction, the ITB ETF, is the highest since 06. The builders, the highest since 06, the XHB. And then the materials, the XLB, the highest since 98 as well. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, as it comes to home building, you know, there's more real estate agents than there are homes for sale right now. And so we definitely have a home shortage. Materials are doing incredible. I mean, I think what Joe just said is so important, you know, sit back and enjoy it because you have this like Goldilocks stock market really last week and this week as everything's doing well. I think investors have to remember going into earnings. I think one of the reasons the tech stocks are doing so well is where do we know we're going to get consistent, really strong earnings? And that's going to be, you know, obviously look at LAM Research, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook. They're going to have great, consistent earnings, and they're going to have great, consistent earnings all year. Now, maybe the the, the year-over-year comps are, are, are people, you know, poke holes at that, but still I think you have to stay invested. That being said, you know, 94% of stocks in the S&P 500 are over their 200-day moving average. You have to go back years and years and years to see that. And so really everything's been, has rallied so hard. And I think that you have to look and say the market's not thinking this infrastructure bill is going to get passed because if it does, I think the taxes that have to pay for it, you have to re-rate a lot of earnings because it's going to be a direct impact. So wait and see, stay invested. But I do think manager expectations that the back half of the year could look very different than what it does right now. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what the market is, is saying. You know, okay, we'll, we'll mm -hmm. get some infrastructure, but we're not getting $2 trillion. I mean, at least that's the bet that the market is trying to put towards the center of the table right now, whether that's right or wrong. We're going to find out. All right, so Degas, right? The, Despite all this, you've got these new highs in Microsoft and Alphabet and Facebook. You've got outflows from tech for the second week in a row at a record level, according to Bank of America's flow show. Largest tech outflows since September of 2020, September of last year, nearly uh, nearly one billion dollars coming out of tech. Is there still a lack of belief that that's the place to be? Well, no, it should not be a lack of belief, because as Bryn was talking about, you're looking for more quality in the tech names now, like an Oracle, like a CDW. All these companies have a valuation tilt. And I will, you know, I will just add to the whole economy. The economy is actually improving and it's at a better place today than it was at the beginning of the year. You have to look at the vaccine as ahead of schedule. So that means that we're going to reopen earlier. We also have the fiscal policy. I believe that the infrastructure bill, a portion of it, if not all $2 trillion, a portion of it will get passed. And also, during 2020, we had companies reducing their operating expense. So we're going to see improvement in operating margin. We're going to see a lot of earning surprises in these tech names. And that's going to lead to what we see as the S&P 500 being probably around 4,300, if not higher. I'll tell you what, Joe. I mean, it, it's not just the, the big tech names that are doing well today. Over the past week, some of the areas that have been obliterated um, or at least hit pretty hard, uh, maybe obliterated is too strong of a word to use. Software, for example, you, you had seen a pullback in some of those highest of high valuation and high, high growth names. 
Over the last week, though, pager duties up 11%, snaps up 9, Datadog 7.5, CrowdStrike the same amount, 7.5, Zscaler's had a nice gain, ServiceNow, Cloudera, Trade Desk, the semis have done quite well, too. Best week since February 12th, the fourth straight positive week uh, there. Is it, is it too early to ask, is tech back? Well, I think, I think tech has, has always been back. I think, Scott, what happened to technology is in the middle of February, we began to see a dramatic rotation in which a lot of the momentum funds, which were overweight towards technology, began to pare back their holdings. You cited outflows to Degas previously in the conversation. Understand those outflows are coming specifically towards end-of-quarter uh, momentum funds that are overall reducing their exposure to the technology sector. So here's what I would say as it relates to some of the names that you mentioned. A lot of those names, Scott, they're some of the emerging growth technology stories. I'm still a little suspicious that for the long term you want to uh, place your holdings there. I have Pinterest. That's a name that I'm holding pers personally. But I'm not going to step into a Datadog uh, or some of the high flyers like a Peloton right here. I'm going to lean more towards the NVIDIAs, the LAM researches, and the Alphabet. I still want that established technology growth story. Yeah. So does Bryn, right? Bryn, because yep. you bought more Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft is, uh, is personally my biggest single security position. And I think that, you know, just last week it was announced that they're going to be making, I think, 120,000 augmented reality headsets for the Army, which is about a $20 billion contract. You know, they're executing on the cloud. They're executing on Xbox. Um, if they do the Discord um, acquisition, which it's rumored to be up to 10 billion, that's 100 million people that... Um, that Microsoft has access to. I just think they're executing all around. They're going to do 40 to 42 billion this next quarter. And so I just think it continues to hit on all of its different verticals. And I mean, LinkedIn has still has wonderful, wonderful ad spends there. So I think it's a must own name in a portfolio. Pete, you, you bought more Apple calls and Facebook calls. And, and even, you know, as you cited the fact that it's mostly short term paper, right, that you're taking a look at, yep. it's still nonetheless you know, bullish sentiment that these names are going to have a lift, even if it's in the near term. Absolutely, Scott. As a matter of fact, the, the bullish sentiment is across just about everything we saw today in terms of the unusual that we've already seen. And it's back. I mean, we, we had a little bit of a pause last week. It's a shortened week, the holiday week and all the rest of that. And so that was part of it. But I think the reality is now we are seeing a market that really is sky into the upside. And a lot of it was, we, we talked about these specific names and technology, how they'd paused for a while. I think if you go back in time and you had that great run that we had out of some of these names, whether it's Apple or Microsoft or Facebook or a lot of these various names that we talk about all the time, they had that healthy pause. Now it looks like they're ready to rear, rear up again and start moving to the upside. And that's I tell you what, the quality names are the quality names, and they continue to be. They had that pause. Biotech had a pause. We had semiconductors having a pause. And so now we're seeing a little bit more of that move to the upside. It's been a, the last four or five days in the semiconductors has been absolutely impressive. Gains of 3% and 4% and 5%. It's just been something where it looked like everybody wants to get back into a lot of these variety of different areas in the marketplace, specifically when, I, when we're looking at NASDAQ. We're talking about technology. We're talking about semiconductors and biotech because biotech was getting beaten 
beaten down pretty bad, and then suddenly we start to see a little bit of strength coming back there as well, Scott. So I think that there's a lot of strength. The, the fact that we are seeing some of these outflows, I find that really interesting. Everything that we're seeing are inflows, and maybe some of that might be stock replacement. I can't really tell you for sure because we have seen a nice move out of a lot of different names so far. I'm just trying to think of Degas. Where, what's the negative? I mean, okay, so you're going to get earnings coming up in, uh, you know, I don't know, a week or so. Uh, obviously, they better be good. Expectations are they're going to be good. Uh, the economic data continues to just blow the doors off. ISM services today backs up a really powerful jobs number from Friday when the markets were closed. Where's the negative? Where's the risk? Well, the risk is, is that what we're looking at is that we are pulling back a little bit from our technology exposure. Uh, two or three percent, and we're actually reallocating that to more of an infrastructure, small cap focus, because that's what we're seeing the market come around to. So, so basically, you want to position your portfolio now and take advantage of this up market. That's, I mean, look, small caps and energy is where Tom Lee thinks the reward is, right? Joe talked about oil going down. Tom Lee's talking about a face ripper quote unquote, face ripper to continue into April, led by the small caps, which have rebounded, as you said. Energy, Bryn, you bought the XLE also. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you know, I already have energy exposure. I wanted to add some more. You know, Chevron and Exxon are close to 50% of XLE, so that's a position. So I just felt like I was a little underweight and wanted to add to that position. But I think that you have to understand with all of this green energy and all of this switch to, you know, EV, it's a very dirty business to go to the electrical market, and you're going to need a ton of fossil fuels. I don't care what anyone says. You're going to need a ton of fossil fuels for years and years, and we've underspent for years. There's been no capex, and so I do think after you know 10 terrible years in the energy space, you could get a good year. Do I think it's a great five, 10-year investment? No, I think there's other places, but right now I still think you want to have exposure to these companies just because we're, there's been so much underinvestment and it's going to take fossil fuels to get us to an EV market. So Joe, what do you think about this Tom Lee note, right? Uh, of a, this face ripper rally coming throughout the month, Bank of America as part of its flow show. I told you about where some of the money was coming out of. They say hedge funds are yet to embrace the rotation to value fully. That leaves a lot of upside ahead once that money comes into the market. You buy that? I do think that the markets will be well supported through the remainder of the month. I'm not sure that energy is where I want to be. Uh, the debt on the balance sheets has always been a concern that I've had. I would look more towards financials, Scott. Let's think about the quarter that financials are enjoying. Certainly, we're seeing net interest margins that are going the way of a lot of these money center banks. But in addition to that, the trading environment continues to be an excellent one. And, you know, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, two holdings that I have. Uh, I, I am very confident they are going to be reporting capital market trading activity that's going to exceed what was previously uh, thought to be one of the best quarters in many, many years for them. Yeah. I, look, I totally get the fact that there's a lot of optimism uh, in the market. The next logical <laughs> question is, and it's a good segue to Mike Santoli, is whether the market is finding a sweet spot or is this as good as it gets? Right, Mike? I mean, yeah. that, that's what you're looking at. Um, both, both are good. It just one has the potential of being more powerful and lasting longer. Exactly. And nothing says things can't stay very good for a while. I mean, it's been very dangerous to kind of overthink all the positives that are right out in front of us for a while right now. And uh, I don't think that that's necessarily the market's not telling you that there are 
stress buildups that we have to be concerned about. The market's not necessarily exhibiting any evidence that we have uh, culminated in this move. However, uh, you have to start asking the question, mainly because all this time with all these positives in terms of economic uh, outlooks being raised, profits coming in better than expected and, and expected to continue to have a better forecast for this year, uh, is that you know, what gets priced in is, is the big question. And the entire time the Fed has been resolute in saying we are not going to push back against all the good news for a long, long time. Uh, does the market start to try and, and predict when that sweet spot's going to come to an end, when the Fed's going to have to come back into the conversation? That's the question to me. Now, when you talk about the great ISM numbers, when the ISM has exceeded 60, as it has both for the services and manufacturing in the last couple of days, the forward returns for stocks are not typically all that good. Usually stocks have anticipated that kind of a boom time. Also watching things like, uh, you know, 4,100 on the S&P. People are saying that's where it looks like the trend starts to get a little bit extended. Maybe that's going to be the case, but that hasn't really caused much of anything besides little shakeouts in the last few months when we've bumped up against that line. So it's mm. a very orderly, well-supported uh, bull market. I just think the question is, uh, you know, has everybody basically become allocated to the upbeat case. And I think you're increasingly moving in that direction. I'm just not, I don't know. You know, I'm trying to think of historically, how many times have, can you say that we are at the beginning of a very powerful new economic cycle, which I feel like we are, and yet that's as good as it gets. Right. Well, it's as good as it gets in the short term. I mean, usually that's what it means is that the threshold for upside surprises goes up. Uh, and it's very tough to impress the market. Now, you can have, you know, things go just according to, to this positive story on, uh, on Main Street and not necessarily have it priced in dollar for dollar with the broad stock market. Not saying that's, that's going to be the case. But, you know, I think we also are in a very, very strange compressed economic cycle. Whatever we're going to call this, whether it was just a kind of an idiosyncratic crash last year, we've gone from early cycle to mid-cycle with some things in the market suggesting even beyond mid-cycle uh, already. And we're less than a year into this, you know, to, to this recovery, whatever it is. So I think you have to be careful about deciding where we are because you've been in some strange combination of late cycle risk appetites and, and financial market uh, valuations, whereas you had early cycle Fed policy and, uh, and economic forces. So uh, somewhere in there, maybe you're going to get uh, some storminess, but it's not showing up right now. The, the other sort of unknown here, too, is that if, if retail, if the retail investor is feeling flush and is feeling this optimism about what lies ahead, you have that as, as a potential continued engine under the stock market. Sure, except that, you know, retail allocations are already very high historically. Not that they're at their very peak, but whatever you want to look at. You want to look at B of A wealth management uh, equity allocation, pretty much a record high. You look at the uh, AAI, the retail investor group, their asset allocation, 70% stocks. So, yes. They can continue to, to support this market, but it's not as if they are under allocated and need uh, to grab for exposure. The market itself has raised everybody's exposure to stocks because it's continued to go up if you owned any. Yeah, yeah, that, that's for darn sure. Um, all right. So I'll ask I'll ask the gang. You stay with me, Mike, because uh, I want I want you to hear what they have to say. Uh, sort of this this premise, Pete, I mean, sweet spot for stocks or as good as it gets. Which one is it and why? I would say that it's the sweet spot. And the reason I say that is we are just getting to the point where we're getting closer and closer for a, a reopen and, and vaccines getting out. And now that we're talking about 3 million vaccines per day getting out, I think, Scott, we are, get, we are on the beginning of this whole process. So 
Have we had a great run so far no, since November? Take a look at, obviously, energy and financials and industrials and materials all having a great run. And that's when we had that pause, basically, for technology. Not as much of a pause in some of the other areas of the NASDAQ. But it's, I, I do think that right now we still have plenty of runway. So I'm going to say we're in the sweet spot because of that fact. And I think that as we rotate, as long as it's a healthy rotation, a healthy rotation into different areas, I think that would make a lot of sense to me. And I still think, by the way, there's legs with financials. I still think there's legs with industrials. I still think there's legs with the materials. Um, so I, I do think that there's a lot of different areas of the marketplace. It's not just that we're focusing on one, but I think that overall we have a pretty broad market that's the trading right now very well. And the consumer does have some money in their pockets. They are going out and spending at various areas as that starts to open up. So I think it's a good combination for all. So I would say that we are in the sweet spot right now. This this would su- suggest, Mike, for, for Pete to be right, that you, you, you know, maybe you haven't reached cruising altitude yet, that you're still on the way up and you're not going to reach that cruising altitude for, for some time, that you still have enough thrust, so to speak, to, to get up to that level and then maintain it for a while. Sure. I mean, I don't think I would argue with that. And I think it's partially because each of the past three months we have had something blow up or at least come as a big surprise that caused people to back off, right, whether it was the short squeeze GameStop thing that, that blew up, you know, whether it was, you know, just the big margin call we've had uh, recently. We've had something that caused a 4 to 5% shakeout, caused people to, to kind of go back on their heels a little bit. But if you go a long enough time, several weeks, a couple of months without something like that, and all you do is melt up and melt up and melt up, then, then we'll get to that moment where it's kind of like, okay, we're all in. We figured it all out. The other positive, by the way, is that valuations in the S&P have not gone up as stocks have gone up because forecasts have kept pace. So the S&P was up 6% in the first quarter. S&P first quarter earnings uh, forecasts were up 6%, and for the year up 5%. So it's not as if it's getting more expensive relative to earnings just because uh, the profit story continues to underwrite this rally. Yeah, that bodes well for, for Pete's thesis, too, that the, you know, the, the runway is, is perhaps longer than some people suggest. Degas, sweet spot, as good as it gets. Which one? It's definitely in the sweet spot because we agree that the earnings are still are actually going to get better because we've had that pullback in the um, earnings expense. And so we're going to see improvement in the profit margins going forward. So this is definitely the sweet spot. We talked about the infrastructure. We talked about fiscal policy. We're at, actually at a better place economically than we were at beginning of the year. So this is definitely the sweet spot. And we're trying to transition Technology, infrastructure, growth is our focus. If you agree with that, Joe, how come no moves? How come no, no new moves from you? As someone who's reasonably active in the market, is this a sort of sit back and let's see where we go in the nearest of near terms? <laughs> uh, I, I think last Wednesday I was pl- pretty clear on how I was allocated into the market and what my expectations were. So uh, we live in America. This is never as good as it gets. Uh, we are in clearly the sweet spot. Would I be surprised to see there to be a, a summer pa- a pause in the market? No, I wouldn't. And by the way, Scott, understand something. The rest of the world, I look at positioning all the time. We are seeing significant flows into, into assets that are domiciled in the United States. You know why? Because we are so far ahead of the rest of the world in terms of the distribution of the vaccine. The rest of the world is struggling right now. So summer pause... Yes, we could see that, but on the other side, Why, though? I will introduce right? to you. I mean, well, we could see, we you, could get hit I'll by a bus you, walking across the street. Is it likely or not? Right? 
Why could we have a summer pause? For, for what reason? I think we could have a summer pause if the rest of the world begins to recover and you begin to see COVID cases decline there. Then you'll see a lot of the flows that are hiding here in U.S. assets. I think then they'll return. Mm. You'll find opportunity back in the emerging markets, which are struggling once again. You'll find opportunity in Europe. So I think you'll get that geographic dispersion, which is, is sorely missing right now. Last point I'll make, you keep talking about what else could be coming. If you listen to Janet Yellen today, Janet Yellen reintroduced globalization. Globalization is back. And guess what comes with globalization? Ultimately, relaxing the tariffs. And no one's even thought about it. No one's mentioning it. But I will tell you, in the next six months, the market's going to have to price in relaxing the existing tariffs. Mike, I mean, the, the idea of a sweet spot um, gets more, I guess, gusto behind it if you certainly as it relates to u.s stocks if because of what joe says it remains the case where europe is just so far behind the u.s sure. in getting back back to normal so those dollars are going to continue to flow here i mean you see it in, in euro dollar in and of itself that is absolutely true uh, i think from a longer term basis uh, that's never been a leading indicator of what market is going to outperform i mean when you actually see a, a big surge of foreign buying in u.s assets it's, it's good while it lasts, but it's not necessarily uh, a sign that, that we're early in the trend. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Mike, I appreciate it. Uh, right. Provocative stuff, as always, and a good conversation. It's good to have you be part of that. Let's go through a couple of moves before we take our first break, folks. Um, I mentioned a lot of stuff that Pete's done. Brand Roku calls? <laughs> What is that about? Yeah, that's, that's not working out so well today. And so uh, I bought Roku calls. Uh, I like to buy leaps. They're in the money leaps. Um, it looks like the Roku, though, is going to go to 300, just like technically. So I wouldn't follow me on this trade right now because it looks to be wrong in the short term. That being said, I do think that, you know, Roku, whether Netflix, whether AT&T, um, whether Viacom, all fights to streaming, they have one bottleneck to go through and that's Roku. So um, it's a small position because I did it through the options market, but I wanted to have some exposure. But but right now it hasn't been good. It hasn't been a good exposure. So we'll we'll see how that 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 trade goes over the next few months. Tell me quickly about the JP Morgan equity premium income ETF, the JEPI. You bought more of that. Yeah. I I've talked about it before. I actually think there's a lot of things that could go wrong this summer and later on this year. And I want to have exposure to high quality companies. They buy about 80, um, 80 underlying names. They sell calls against them, create about seven to 10 percent income via the um, calls. And then you get some capital appreciation right. um, with the underlying 80 names. It's just a great long term holding. And I think there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Degas, tell me about Aerovironment, AVAV, new buy for you. Yes, new buy. We like it. It's a $3 billion firm, makes small drones for the military and commercial. It just recently went to Mars as the first drone to demonstrate the viability of aerial robots to do planetary exploration. We also like it because of the profitability. Cash flow return on invested capital, about 24%, and it's going to grow. The demand for the drones will grow as we get into more construction which is going to benefit from infrastructure. We right. really like it at this level. All right, nice, uh, nice move for that stock. Thank you for that. Coming up, GM and Ford, they're up 40% this year, and both are trading higher today. Why? There's a bullish call. The Investment Committee weighs in on it next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. 
which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Big day thus far for stocks. Let's get to Elon Moy. She has a news alert on Senate Democrats' proposed tax plan. Hi, Elon. Hi, Scott. Well, Senate Democrats are out with a new framework for overhauling how companies' foreign profits are taxed. They're calling for a dramatic increase in the international rate. Currently, it's at 10.5 percent. President Biden has proposed raising it to 21 percent. But Senate Democrats said it's an open question whether the international rate should be the same as what they're discussing for the domestic rate, which is 28 percent. Now, either way, this does move our tax system closer to that global minimum tax that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen talked about this morning. The plan is backed by the chairman of the Senate Finance and Banking Committees, Ron Wyden and Sherrod Brown, along with Senator Mark Warner. Now, the framework would also get rid of the tax exemption that companies receive for building factories overseas and force them to calculate their taxes on a country-by-country basis instead of blending profits across borders. Now, Moody's Analytics broadly estimates that reforming the international tax code could raise $670 billion over the next decade. But Scott, President Biden did talk to reporters as he returned from Camp David today, and he said he does not think that higher corporate taxes will hurt the economy. Back to you. Yeah, I did see a headline also, Elon, uh, relating to Senator Manchin, um, perhaps not supporting a move back to 28 percent on the corporate rate, as President Biden has suggested. Know anything about that? Yeah, what he said was that uh, he would be supportive of a 25 percent rate instead of a 28 percent rate. He did indicate that he supported higher tax rates on high income earners. So this is part of those negotiations that are going to have to happen on Capitol Hill. And the administration is going to have to convince uh, Senate Democrats to go along with that higher number or, on the other hand, you know, risk having this uh, infrastructure package at the deficit. They were very uh, clear about saying that they would be able to pay for this over a 15 year time frame. You take the corporate rate down to 25 percent, you're going to lose out on a lot of revenue and that's going to mean higher debt and deficits. Yeah. Uh, big voice, though. Uh, Senator Manchin, right. One of the so-called kingmakers up on the hill with the Senate so close. Elon, thanks so much. Elon Moy for us down there. Let's get the headlines now with Kate Rogers up here. Hey, Kate. Hey there, Scott. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The head of the CDC says the current rise in new COVID cases is being driven by higher infection rates among young adults. Dr. Walensky says most new cases are related to youth sports and extracurricular activities. 
At the Derek Chauvin trial, the emergency room doctor who pronounced George Floyd dead has testified that he believes that Floyd died of suffocation. Dr. Langenfeld also said he had been told no police or bystanders had tried to resuscitate Floyd. Russian President Vladimir Putin has signed a law that will allow him to potentially hold power until 2036. The move formalizes constitutional changes that were endorsed last year. And in Israel, protests both for and against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as his corruption trial has resumed. In a nationally televised speech, Netanyahu slammed prosecutors saying, quote, this is what a coup attempt looks like. Scott, back over to you. Okay, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Let me get you up to date on the market real quick. We are at the highs of the day. New record highs today for the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average on the back of that blowout jobs report. More encouraging economic today from the ISM Services report, too. There are the numbers for you. I am ISM Services highest on record. Uh, so that's just adding to the economic optimism and then optimism on Wall Street as well. Where we take a look at shares of General Motors and Ford, they are up big this year. As you know, now Wells Fargo initiates both. Overrate on both. Overweight, I should say, pointing to GM's EV strategy, Ford's strong lineup as well. It's our call of the day. And we have ownership from Degas and Joe. Degas, a lot of upside left here, you think? Definitely a lot of upside. We like it at these levels. Positive outlook. We're seeing about a 15 to 20 percent gain from here it's around sixty dollars we can easily see this getting to seventy dollars because the fact of the valuation the operating cash flow yield is about thirty percent so still a lot of upside here the profitability as measured by cash flow to return on invested capital is around twenty percent the forward expectation they're actually investing about twenty seven billion dollars in next gen ev and we see this as a definitely positive also, they have a partnership with their autonomous vehicle to work with Microsoft using the Azure platform for their autonomous vehicle software. So we see a lot of upside to General Motors at these levels. Yeah, Joe, I mean, better late than never for you, right, and GM? <laughs> yes, uh, certainly I'm one of the last on the show to get into GM, but I'm okay with that. I believe in buying high and selling higher. Selling story, higher. As Degas rightly described. <laughs> Yep, and the story, as Degas rightly describes it, it is a very positive one, and it's a secular story. And there's clear policy support in this country for EVs. You're seeing higher gas prices, lower battery prices, and you're talking about a company that's really done a good job in terms of guiding what their balance sheet is going to look like. Degas talked about the free cash flow, what the expectations are there, what the CapEx is going to be. But they've already guided forward what their corporate tax rate is going to look like at 24 percent under the new corporate tax structure. So I think this company is really getting ahead of both the balance sheet management and the introduction into EVs. 30 vehicles by 2025, mm -hmm. fully EV by 2035. I don't know. Certainly, uh, it seems to me that they are uh, positioned to take some market share from Tesla, which well, I know is very, uh, very complicated and controversial. Well, I would hope say. so. If the stock's a double this year, um, right? Year to, I mean, it's up 230% over one year, and it's, up, it's a double year yep. to date. So I'm just wondering, okay, thank you very much for this call and the initiation, but tell me something I don't know. Right. Because, I mean, that's got to be, be, be a major reason why the stock has already run up so much. 
Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Up next, the big ETFs to watch today. I told you about many that are hitting new highs. Plus, April is Financial Literacy Month, and we are here at CNBC committed to sharing messages from business leaders about the importance of financial education. Here is Acorn CEO Noah Kerner. In money, as in everything, knowledge is power. And it's not just about knowing, it's about remembering at the right moments so that you make the right decisions. You need to remember the power of sticking with it during difficult times. You need to remember that every downturn in history has ended in an upturn. You need to remember that the eighth wonder of the world is compounding. And if you can remember those things, you will have a much better and more financially healthy life. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Bob Bazzani here. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. Trying to keep up with the frenzy of retail trading is not easy, but our two guests today, well, they're trying. Jamie Wise is the founder of the newly launched Vanek Vectors Social Sentiment ETF. That's B-U-Z-Z, Buzz. And Art Amador is the brains behind the AI-powered equity ETF. The symbol there, A-I-E-Q. He uses artificial intelligence to pick stocks with the highest capital appreciation. Jamie, we had you on a month ago when Buzz launched with Dave Portnoy as your partner. You've got nearly $500 million in assets under management. In just a month, the fund's heavily weighted towards all those old school tech names, Apple, Amazon, AMD. But you've got a smattering of Square, Tesla, Virgin Galactic thrown in. You've got a month of experience now. What are investors saying on social media about the state of the markets right now? Yeah. Hi, Bob. Thanks. Great to be back here. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned certainly there's some technology and growth oriented names in the buzz index, but they're not necessarily the drivers of performance. And what's always so unique about the index is its dynamic ability to listen to what investors are talking about and understand whether it's growth or value or old industrial names that might be leading performance. So far this year, buzz is up about 13%. When we look at the names that are driving performance, it's a lot of those older names, names like Ford, names like American Airlines, even Novavax that are in the top performers. We just rebalanced the index last month. As you know, the index rebalances every month. And we do see that tilt continuing where we have names like Costco, Target, Occidental Petroleum, Norwegian Cruise Lines, even United Airlines coming into the index. So a bit of a shift more towards those industrial and value names away from some of the higher growth tech names. Yeah, quite a a diverse group that you've got in there. Now, Art, AIEQ continues to have fairly heavy bets on old school tech, Apple, Applied Materials, Alphabet, Intel, your top picks here. What in your model is continuing to recommend a heavy weighting in technology, even though you, you could go anywhere, the model actually takes you? Yeah, so, Bob, the IBM Watson and AI models are observing positive signals right now for technology hardware demand. And these signals are being aggregated across news, social media, industry reports, market data, financial statements, and much more. Uh, lastly, uh, hardware is driving the need for chips. Uh, so AIQ is materially overweight in semiconductor, uh, semiconductor names. And this has really benefited over the last 12 months. AIQ is up over 80%. 
All right, Art and Jamie, thanks very much. Now, tune in at 1 p.m. Eastern time. ETF Edge, we're going to go a lot deeper into using artificial intelligence to stay ahead of trading with Art and Jamie. We'll be joined by Todd Rosenbluth from CFRA. He's going to update us on the latest efforts to get a Bitcoin ETF through the SEC. They've got to give a ruling soon on this. ETFedge.cnbc.com at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Scott, back to you. Appreciate that, Bob. Thank you. Stay with us. Pete's latest trades and unusual activities coming up right next on The Half. All right, let's check the markets. We've been saying all hour long we are in new high territory yet again today for both the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 now highs of the day firmly above 4,000. In fact, now we're pushing 4,100 or there, uh, thereabouts on the S&P. Big day as interest rates continue to remain somewhat muted. 171 is the yield on the 10-year note. Pete, you have unusual activity on this big day on the street? Yeah, absolutely. And they expect the markets to continue to move to the upside, and they're expecting it in JetBlue as well, Scott. It's already pressing towards the 52-week highs, but with the stock trading right around 21 and a half, there's a pretty aggressive buyer of 5,500 of the April, the regular expiration April 22 calls, and those are going for about 50 cents. Pretty decent size, and Scott, looking for a little bit more of a breakout to the upside. Obviously, with the, you know, the, the talk about vaccines and the reopen and everything else, the airlines are certainly one of those that sits in that spot. And obviously, somebody here expecting to see a little bit more upside there. Ulta Beauty is my second one. Now, this one's pretty interesting as well because this is well off of the highs. But today, with the stock trading right around 314, we had a buyer of about 2,500 of Fridays expiring, April 9th. 325 calls. That stock's already starting to move a little bit since they started buying those calls. Last I looked, it was about $3 higher than when they initially bought these calls. They were paying about $1.50 all the way up to about $2 for these calls. Don't forget, second half of the year, Scott, Ulta and Target got their partnership as well. So just continues to play out of all the partnerships for Target. And I think this works well for Ulta as well. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you very much. Ask Halftime's next. Send us your questions by video. We will put it on the air. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back in two minutes. Boy, Joe mentioned this earlier uh, in our show today. Take a look at crude oil. It's down nearly 6%. Uh, It's below $60 a barrel right now. Just something to keep an eye on here as we follow a big market day in terms of the Dow and the S&P 500, both hitting new record highs. The Investment Committee answering your questions now. Bryn, coming to you first. Star Peak Energy. Transition SPAC, Dylan in New Jersey. Can I please get your thoughts on that? It's set to merge with STEM. What do you recommend for the long term? Yeah, I actually have a small position in this stock. It will, um, it should IPO in the, for, in the second quarter under the ticker STEM. It'll be a pure play in the energy space. I own it, but it's caught up in SPAC mania. And so the stock could easily go lower in the short term. I would actually wait to establish a new position once that the IPO is behind them. But it could be a huge winner over the next few years. It's a real company. Okay. Uh, Digas Leslie in San Jose, California. What's up with Merck? Yeah, Leslie, we actually sold Merck last month because of two headwinds. The shares have been underperforming because of patent expiration that impacts drugs like Zucor and Nuvarang. Also, the pipeline has had some setbacks uh, when their trials of HIV and diabetes drugs. So it's just had a lot of setbacks and it has a headwinds against the stock right now. Okay, thank you for that. Joe Lenar. I mentioned some of the home builders today, right? It's John in San Diego. What do you do here? Best to hold yep. it or take some profits? You know, you stay with it. It's a holding in my quality momentum index. Bryn mentioned there are no homes out there, Scott. Now you've got partnerships 
on the rental market with Centerbridge and Allianz for Lennar. Besides that, private equity is now entering the home construction market. So you might be just be selling your house not to an individual, but to a pension fund or private equity. Stay with the home builders. You said the quality momentum index. Is that better? the one better known as the Joe T? Yes, sir. All right, just making sure. All right, <laughs> Pete, Pete. Yes, sir. Jason in New York. What do you think? <laughs> yep. What do you think about Expedia? You know, uh, Scott, when we talk about the reopen, we talk about a lot of different things, and this is not one of the names that comes up that often. We talk about the cruise ships, we talk about airlines, we talk about a lot of different things, the, the hotels and so forth, but Expedia is going to benefit immensely. They've already come back reasonably well, and I feel, still think there is room to the upside. I think they test those highs. It's still well off the highs. I like this name a lot. I'm not in it, but I certainly do like it. All right. Yeah, it's a bigger, it's a big one uh, year to date. Uh, I should say up 32%. You saw it there on the screen as Pete was talking about it. All right. Quick break, come back, we'll do final trades next. Pete, we're doing final trades, and I want to start by talking to you about a call today at City on Medtronic. Initiated with a positive catalyst, buy rating, $133 is the price target. And that happens to be your final trade as well, right? Yeah, I've owned this stock for a long time, Scott. I, I, I think they do everything right, and they navigated through the pandemic really well. And I think when you look at elective procedures, which obviously had a pause for a while, that's going to come back. I also look at the second half of the year in terms of the product pipeline that's going to be released as well. So I think there's a lot of different catalysts right now that make this a really smart trade. And I think there's plenty of room to the upside. I think 133 is too low. OK, uh, Joe, it, th this stock is the third largest holding in something you just bought. The U.S. Medical Shares ETF, better known as the IHI. Correct. And I'll give an assist to uh, Patty Martell on this in the conversation talking about Medtronic and Pete's uh, ownership here. It took me to the ETF, which I've owned in the past. It's got an expense ratio of 42 basis points. It also owns Thermo Fisher and Abbott Labs. Great way to play the medical devices, secular strength. You, you taking stock advice from our senior producer now? Is that, that's, that's where we've gone? Yeah, you're a big <laughs> ETF guy? It's probably better than me. <laughs> Degas, quick, final trade. <laughs> Hans Brand, uh, 3% uh, dividend yield, a paramaker is doing outstanding based off online sales. Okay, Bryn, leave us with your final trade, please. Uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines, lots of upside as we all get vaccinated. All right, we're going to see you again soon. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.